Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is, is Kylam. Uh, I'm the lead pastor of a church at North Lakes uh, called Life Center Church. Uh, so if you're new, uh, maybe you're here, you're not a church person or whatever, I'm not the regular guy here, so don't hold anything I say or do today against this wonderful community of people. Just blame me and Life Center Church. Uh, it is great to, to have you. Uh, again, if you're new, the, the church here at Creekside has been going through a series called The Fruits of Summer. Um, and so it's been looking at one week at watermelon, what is a watermelon, the next week uh, oranges, no it hasn't. Uh, it's been looking at a particular passage from the Bible uh, in a book of the New Testament called Galatians where the Apostle Paul basically writes about some fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be uh, looking at that today, uh, particularly we're going to look at the idea of self-control. Now just, just for way of introduction, it is a new year and I haven't been back uh, this year, often, uh, often I come here maybe sort of a couple times a year, and so I haven't had a great chance to, to see a whole lot of my regular friends, but here, put up your hand if you made a New Year's resolution at the beginning of this year, hand up, everyone quit, 2020 was that bad, we're just like, forget even making a plan, we're not even going to have a goal, we're just going to, our goal is to make it to tomorrow, all right, uh, often we start off a year and we, we kind of have this thing of making New Year's resolutions. Uh, we want to be healthier. We, we want to, you know, get new habits. And so we'll, we'll make these resolutions and then come the first week of February, we have failed our New Year's resolutions. Yeah? So 2020 has messed this up for us, okay? But the idea is that we all know we need self-control. We all want it. Uh, if you're an educator or if you're a parent like me, uh, I have four wonderful children, uh, they're sitting right here today, and so they know they're going to get embarrassed because they're actually sitting in church, normally they, they go off to kids, so I'm just going to pick on them all day. Um, we want our children to, to grow up and have self-control. We as adults, we want self-control, and this is what Paul says to the Galatians. This is sort of the key scripture that has kind of tied this series together. It's in Galatians chapter 5. It says this. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. In other words, you don't have to, uh, we need a law, we need rules to tell us not to do things. Okay, we don't need rules and laws to say love people. We, we know we should, right? But notice the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness. I find it interesting that it ends with self-control because in many ways that really sums up what we need for all of these. If we want to be people of love, who love all the time and not just occasionally, we need self-control. If we want to have joy all the time and we want to experience the fruit of joyfulness, there's a sense in which we need self-control. If we want to be gentle, if we want to be patient, if we want to be patient, if we want to be patient, <laughs> we need self-control. So I want to look at three things today, and I want to go to a different passage of Scripture uh, of the Bible that Paul writes. But I basically want to ask three questions. Is what is self-control? Where does it come from? 
and how do we grow in it? Where does it come from? What is it and how do we grow in it? So I'm going to put up on the screen, the guys will put up. This is, this is something else that the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Corinth. Now, if you've got a Bible, maybe you have a Bible, maybe you don't. If you read the Bible, you kind of see there are these different churches that these apostles, they write letters to. And so Paul writes a letter to the Galatian church saying, hey, I want you to exercise uh, these types of fruit. This is the evidence of God working in your life at these things. But over in the church at Corinth, he's actually trying to probably, better way of putting it, it's like he's putting sort of some legs on it. Like what is self-control? Where does it come from? What does it look like? And so he writes this to the church at Corinth. He says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 23. He says, I do all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you not, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control. In all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I I exercise self-control over my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So let's ask these three questions. What is self-control? You may have heard or may not have heard of a man, uh, he's known as the Marshmallow Man. He was this uh, professor of psychology at the University of Columbia, uh, Columbia in the States. And what he did was, uh, he did this, this exercise of self-control with preschoolers, grade, basically prep, grade one, where he sat a marshmallow in front of all of these five-year-olds, and he said to them, I'm going to come back in 15 minutes. Now, if you have the marshmallow sitting still in front of you, I will give you more marshmallows. You get another one. And if I don't, That's it. You only get the one. And then what they did is they actually studied these five-year-olds for the next 50 years. So it was a a long-term study to see what is it that self-control actually leads to. And here's some of the results that came back. Uh, Of those who restrained and didn't, didn't eat the marshmallow, they went on to achieve higher SAT scores to get into college. It's kind of like your OP or whatever the new version of that is. It seems to change about every TE scores, okay? For us oldies, let's go back to TE score. Um, they were typically in better physical shape and health. They, they earned more advanced degrees through uni. This one's a little bit interesting. They used less cocaine. I don't know why that's in there, but it was in there. I'm just reading to you what it says. I'm like, okay, did, did it... Did, is this a problem in America? We know you've got a lot of problems over there, but is this another one that we're not aware of? Uh, they, they tend to cope better with stress. And what they found was that in these people's, in their 50s, these people were actually financially in a better state. And so he's written this, this book about the mastering of self-control. And what we see in his example is that self-control, and we know this instinctively, we know that self-control is about restraint. It's about saying no to things. The chocolate brownie. The uh, my wife likes likes this ice cream. It's, it's Ben and Jerry's. It's chocolate um, chocolate fudge brownie, and it's like I can't say no. <laughs> it's just like I see it, and I got to eat that, and I don't just eat it. Like I eat it. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you start, you start, and an hour later you're like, that was good. We must go buy a whole nother container full. 
right? We know that self-control is about restraint. This is what the Oxford Dictionary says. It says, the ability to control oneself, this is speaking of self-control, in particular one's emotions and desires, especially in difficult situations. As a parent, when I'm trying to raise my children, part of what I'm trying to get them to do is to exercise self-control so they can learn to say no, because if they don't have self-control, they're not going to go to bed at a time that is actually good for their health. They're going to drink soft drink all day rather than water, right? They're going to eat everything that just tastes good and is is sugary, but it's actually not good for them. So this idea of self-control, we understand that it's the idea of exercising restraint. And we see this. This is what Paul says in verse 25 there. He says, every athlete exercises self-control. They exercise restraint. They say no to things. They go without things. That's what makes them athletes. I remember when I was at school, um, I don't know how many people here uh, remember Pat Rafter, okay? Um, I'm, a, I'm a Pat Rafter fan, not a Leighton Hewitt fan. For all those of you who are a little bit younger, uh, these are number, like number one world tennis players that represented for Australia. Pat Rafter, uh, you know, ladies might say he was good looking, but I just felt like he was a better example of what it is to be Australian. He was a little bit nicer. He didn't do these signs all the time. Uh, but... I remember Pat Rafter, he, he didn't go to school this week because he was training and he was practicing. He said no to going with his friends, no to going and experience the school this week when he finished school to train. This is the idea that we exercise restraint. But that begs the question, why do we need to exercise restraint? Why is there a fundamental uh, need for us to exercise that? And this is kind of the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview says, well, because everything is broken. Not everything in the world is good. It once was, but now sin has broken everything that is out there. And so now there are things that aren't good for us that we need to restrain from. The Christian worldview also says that not only is things broken out there, but things are also broken in here. In other words, we want things that aren't necessarily good. We want to say things that aren't necessarily good. We want to do things that aren't necessarily good. Now, again, I have four children. This became really relevant to me when I realized I didn't have to teach my kids. I didn't have to model to my kids what it is like to to hurt someone to get what you want, right? My kids never saw me and my wife fighting in such a way where we'd go and get a ruler and smack each other over the head. But for some reason, my children, when they were like two, were like, what is the nearest weapon of warfare that we can use to get the thing that I want? And they would grab it and they would smack each other. And we'd be like, where does that come from? It wasn't modeled. Sure, my wife thought about doing that to me, but she never modeled it. We know this instinctively. There there is this thing that the Bible says there is... this will to do both good and for evil within the human heart. And we, we have this belief that that is because sin has broken us. And therefore, we must exercise self-control, self-restraint. And in fact, in the, in the passage in Galatians 5, before he gets on to talking about the fruits of the Spirit, Paul actually is talking to the people saying, hey, you know that there is this wrestle within you. There is this fight, like, do this. Be patient. Be kind, don't be angry. Like, there's this wrestle that we know and we feel and we experience it every single day. Old mate drives past us, cuts us off. <laughs> I know what I want to do. And when old mate gets pulled over a few minutes later, I know the joy. 
but it's a fruit of the Spirit in that moment, so it's fine to be joyful. <laughs> it's just exercising the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's totally fine. This is a godly thing. But self-control is not only about restraint, it's also about reward. And we have to remember that. Because often we always see self-control through the lens of no, negative, defensive. But what you see with athletes and what Paul is getting to is self-control is not only about saying no, it's not only about being sort of on the defensive, it's also being on the offensive. It's about saying yes to better things. It's having a greater yes. It's, it's seeing the things that are actually more important. It's not just defensive. Paul, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter is writing to a whole bunch of churches and he writes in 2 Peter, he says, for this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then he goes on to list a bunch of virtues. One of them is self-control. So add to your faith, supplement your faith with self-control. And then he goes on and says, for if these qualities, if this self-control are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Self-control is about getting the better thing, the more important thing, the greater thing. So it's not just about saying no to one thing. Every time we say no to one thing, we say yes to something else. What's the thing we say yes to? What is your yes? So what is self-control? I've got a definition. Self-control is the ability to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. To say no to the marshmallow that's sitting on the table right in front of you. To say, I want the whole packet of marshmallows. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a church person. And even your view of God is that he just, he just has all of these rules in order to restrict and restrain people. That's not actually the picture that the Bible puts towards us of God. The picture of the Bible is not God giving us a whole lot of rules to restrict us, but actually God is trying to give us boundaries in order that we would be fruitful. God wants to bless people. God wants us to truly enjoy the fruitful life. He just knows what that actually looks like. And so he says, hey, you know what probably helps society? If we don't kill each other. If we don't steal from each other. That's probably going to help. If we don't lie and gossip about each other, that's, that's probably a good thing. It's not God trying to restrict culture. It's God trying to say, hey, I want you to flourish. I want you to be fruitful. So yeah, the Bible talks about having self-control in the area of sexuality. That is not God trying to narrow the scope and say, I don't want you to enjoy things. It's so that you can truly enjoy it in its ordered good design so you can be fruitful. Alcohol. The Bible talks about having self-control in the area of alcohol. Now for my father, my father was an alcoholic. So he hasn't had a drink for over 30 years. So for my father, it has meant for him to exercise self-control because it was a, he was a slave to it. He said no to it completely. But for many of us, the idea of alcohol, it's like, listen, if you allow it to control you, now it's a problem. But if you can control it, you can actually use it in a way which is, it's okay. The Bible doesn't say you can't have alcohol. The Bible says, be careful. Be wise. Some of us might need to hear that this morning. 2020, alcohol went up. 
Obviously, all our dreams and visions and plans for the year went down, but maybe alcohol went up. Number two, that's what it is. Where does it come from? Now, if I was to say to you, what is the most important ingredient for us to exercise self-control, what would we say? Most of us in the room would say, we need to think. That self-control comes from the head. We need to exercise willpower. We need to be able to basically have mind over matter. We know we shouldn't eat the marshmallow. So tell ourselves, don't eat the marshmallow, don't eat the marshmallow, but it's pink. But don't eat the marshmallow, don't eat the marshmallow. It's bad, it's bad. And so it's the idea, and ancient culture says this, modern culture says this, it's the idea that the mind is the most important thing. And what I love about the Bible, again, if you're new and maybe you're not a Christian or you're new to the church, the more you engage the Bible, the more it kind of mixes things up. It throws out categories and it brings a whole other perspective to things. The way that the Bible presents self-control is that actually it's not just about the mind. It's actually as much to do with the heart. So we throw a tub of Ben & Jerry's chocolate fudge brownie in front of me. I want it. <laughs> I look at it. I want it more. The marshmallow is in front of me. And so the Bible says, listen, th there's a heart thing going here. There's a desire thing that's going on. And so look at what Paul says. Paul says that the secret to self-control, he kind of goes, look at the athletes. It's not that the athletes have no desires. It's not that the athletes don't want marshmallows and don't want chocolate and don't want to go partying. They do. They have a greater desire. They have a goal for this wreath. They have a goal for a medal. They have a goal that is bigger. They have a bigger desire, something that drives them more than the marshmallow. So there's different types of desires, different levels of desires. So self-control is not suppressing the heart. Self-control is about setting the heart. And an athlete has set their heart on something greater, something more. So they're not just saying no to something, they're saying yes to the better. Saying yes to the important over the urgent. Now I think a good example of this in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is a story about a guy named Jacob. Now Jacob is working for a guy named Laban. It's a really weird name, almost as weird as Kylum. Um, it's not a good workplace, it's not a good work environment. He has to get up every morning. He doesn't like who he's working for. He's not a good boss. The job itself is hard and difficult. And it's, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been there, where it's just like, I just don't love the job. But if you read the story, after a while, Laban and, and Jacob kind of have this deal that they work out where Laban has a daughter named Rachel. And Jacob likes Rachel. And they make a deal. Okay, this is not what I'm going to do with my daughters, but this is often how it went in ancient times. Basically, Laban and, and Jacob make a deal that, hey, listen, if you keep working for me, keep getting up on the hot mornings and working out in the fields and doing the hard, tough labor, I know you don't love it, but if you do it for seven years as you're doing it, I'll let you marry Rachel. Now, you think about that. Seven years of doing the job that you don't like. <laughs> Every day is a grind, right? Good. Monday swings back around. All right, now get up. Be happy. Put on a smile. Make sure when Laban's there, you say, hi. Hi, Laban. Love this job. So much fun. 
Like, is he exercising willpower? Is he just telling himself just over and over again, just, like, just be happy? No, this is good, mate. This is good. No, no. This is what, look at what Genesis 29, 20 says. Now, man, this is a really good line. If you want to find a way to insert this into your relationships, this is great. It says this. It says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Listen to this line. This is better than any Jerry Maguire line. And they seemed to him but a few days. What a line. That's a good line. Because of the love he had for her. See, what's happened here is, is Jacob hasn't exercised willpower. What he has is joy power. I'm not working to work. I'm working to get the prize. I have a greater beauty. I have a greater thing. I have a more important thing that I'm going after. And so the seven years of working a job I don't like felt like a couple of days. That's how beautiful to him Rachel was. That's a great line. Fletch, when it's your turn, mate, make sure you remember that line, use it. So what the Bible teaches is that self-control doesn't simply come from the head, but self-control comes from the heart. Think of a young adult who, you know, maybe they're, they're kind of late teens and you just can't get them out of bed. I thought that started in teens. For us, it started, like, early. Uh, they, they're slow. They can't come to the family thing on time. Hey, this is when the family do is on. Make sure you're there this time. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure, Dad, I'll be there. And then, you know, they're there late at the Christmas do. They're late at the thing. It's like, how, how do we get our kids to just be on time? I guarantee you, get the kid into a workplace, gets a job. That job earns them money. That money means they can buy a car. That car now leads to freedom. A young adult over time starts to realize, oh, actually, if I get up early and get the job, I keep the job. If I, if I go to work and work hard and do the thing, I, I get the money. And if I get the money, then I have the car. And then if I have the car, I have the freedom. All of a sudden, I've got so many young adults who can't be the church until about, you know, the third song in, there they come, but they are at work every single day on time. Why? They have a Rachel. And her name is Freedom. Her name is Money, which gives me this. So the Bible is saying, listen, self-control is not just about and telling your mind. There's something in here that helps us to exercise self-control because we have something better, something more important. Question, what is your Rachel? What is your more important thing that always supersedes the urgent? What is that for you? Is that career success? Is that family success? Is that possessions, popularity? I know for me, much of my life has been driven, absolutely driven by people's approval. And it has been like, the, the, the better thing has been like, if I can just get people to like me, and that sort of drives me to make all of the self-control decisions as to what I say yes to and no to. Number three, how do we grow in it? See, the question of what is our Rachel leads to a, another question. Is your Rachel, is your thing, is your more important thing actually good? And by having that as your most important thing, does it affect other areas of your life negatively? So let's take the career idea, right? 
So if your ultimate thing, if your main thing, if your important thing is career success, that will put you in good stead. You'll be successful in the workplace. But what happens when integrity is confronted with succeeding? Now we have a conflict. Because whilst there's nothing wrong with having a drive to want to succeed in the workplace and to do well in your career, when it starts to bump up against character and integrity, now we've got a question. Will I lie? Will I cheat? Will I steal? For the young adult whose one thing, their Rachel, is personal freedom, well, what about when they want to get into deep, intimate relationship with someone? Where now you have to commit and you have to sacrifice your personal freedom in order for that relationship to blossom. Do you see how there are certain things, there are certain uh, most important, more important things that sometimes can have an, a negative effect on other areas of your life? And this is where the conflict comes back to. There's what we call a sin problem. There's a brokenness problem. There are things out there that are, that are broken and they're trying to capture our heart and trying to get our heart and say, make this your thing. Have this, then you'll be happy. Live here, then you'll be happy. Look like this, then you'll be happy. And some of those things are not bad things. But when you take a good thing and make it a God thing, it starts to affect everything. So what is our Rachel? And is it actually good? What the Christian worldview does, and I love the Bible. The Bible's just super honest. What the Bible says is, yeah, we recognize there's a conflict in the human heart that one desire trumps over other desires and can sometimes cause conflict and therefore we need help. And so that passage from Galatians is really important that we realize that what Paul says is this is the fruit of who? The Holy Spirit. This is the stuff that God wants to help us with. God wants to reorient our hearts so that we can actually exercise self-control. I don't know about you, but I've been trying uh, to be fit and healthy, I don't know, for about 43 years. <laughs> My wife's very encouraging in terms of encouraging me to keep up that journey. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. Now, I want to do certain things in my life, but I need help. And here's the beautiful thing about God. God loves to help. God doesn't say, be loving. Off you go. Be more joy. Just be happy. Thanks, God. Super helpful. And what God says is, no, this, this is something I want to help you with. And so how do we grow in it? Well, look at what Paul says. Verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Verse 25, it says that, that they do it for a perishable wreath, a perishable, perishable gold medal, but we do it for an imperishable. And at the end, he says, lest after preaching to others, I might, myself might be disqualified. And we might be kind of, when we read that, we kind of think, well, is he sort of saying, I do all these things, I exercise these things, I say no to all these things so I can get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I've already got that. I live my life this way. I live this way now. Why? Because of the gospel. What is the gospel? 
The gospel is that Jesus has lived a life for me and died on a cross for me to take away my sins. And then he rose again to new life so that he could give me that new life. So I'm not doing this to earn God's love. I already have God's love. And in fact, one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible, this is, this is what uh, the author of Hebrews says of how we do this. He basically says, the way that we do this is you just keep looking at Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do this thing? How do we live with fruits of the Spirit? Look at what he says. You look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And is seated at the right hand of God. Do you know what he says? If you want to grow in self-control or any of the other fruits of the Spirit, look at Jesus. Because Jesus went to a cross knowing it was going to hurt. He went to a cross knowing it was going to cost him friendships. He would be abandoned at that cross. Jesus went to a cross knowing that he would have to take on all of the sin, not just of us in this room, but for the whole world. And how did he do it? With joy. How? This is great news. Because you and I are his Rachel. When he went to that cross, he was looking at me and at you and saying, I am here to help. Redeem and restore. And as you look at Jesus and you think, that God who came and died on the cross for me loves me that much, you will love others. That God did that for me. He's so gentle with me, patient with me. You can be patient with others. What he says is don't exercise willpower. That's not enough. Do what you can with your mind, but then allow your heart to look at Jesus and see who he is and what he has done for you. And that, my friends, starts to shift your heart because you cannot believe that someone could love you that much. So you might be here and you're not a Christian. And you're like, I don't know if I believe that. That's okay. You're welcome here. Many of us in the room did not believe that and have become convinced, but I want to just give you three things that if I can encourage you with that you can take away today. Just, just do these three things over time, and I guarantee you, as you continue to look at Jesus, things will start to change in your life. Number one, pray. If you want to look at Jesus, talk to him. You can pray to him no matter where you are, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you can talk to Jesus. You can talk to God and just talk to him. Number two, get a Bible. Open it up and read about the life of Jesus. In this church, you'll see people with green shirts. Go to them after the service and say, hey, I don't have a Bible. Can I grab a Bible? And they can show you where to start reading. And as you see the life of Jesus, you'll be amazed at the person that your, your culture and society has told you that God is like. And you'll see Jesus and you go, Jesus is not like the God I was taught. And then number three, this is pretty simple, but geez, just keep coming to church. Notice that Paul says, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is the idea that Paul's not just convincing himself of Jesus on his own. He's doing it with a family, with a community and saying, hey, listen, like Tim said, we're just here as people trying to help each other to get to know Jesus and walk with him and follow him.
We need each other. I, I need my wife. I need my kids to help me to see who God really is. And remember, you are Jesus' Rachel. Let's pray. God, we thank you, uh, Father. As you look at the fruit of the Spirit, we are, we are often reminded of how much of it we don't have. And God, we often forget, uh, it's easy to forget that this is what you're filled with. This is all you have. So God, when we often look at ourselves and we see the shortfall, would you help us to put our eyes onto you and see that you are filled with love, filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with gentleness and kindness and uh, uh, patience, Lord, and and self-control. This is who you are and you have promised that as we look to you, that your Holy Spirit will come help us to grow, to become more like you. God, our prayer is that you would help us not to just exercise willpower, but that you would actually give us a new joy so that we can put the more important thing over the urgent thing. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for our sake. We pray this in your name.